This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello. Jim, it's Jonathan calling. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? How are you? How was your trip? It was wonderful. Make sure to keep listening after the interview to find out how to win a free book by this week's guest, Jim Gerritsen. We are delighted to have as our guest today, Dr. James M. Gerritsen. Jim is a former seminary professor and pastor. He is now serving as ministry director for Christian Union, ministering to students at Harvard Law School. So he is coming to us from Boston. Jim, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here with you today, Jonathan. I want to talk today about Samuel Miller, another major figure in Old Princeton, and we've been talking about Old Princeton over the last uh, few weeks here. So who was Samuel Miller? Well, Samuel Miller was both one of the founders of Princeton Theological Seminary, and he also was appointed to be the second professor at the seminary beginning in 1813. One year after the seminary had founded, he came on board to assist his colleague, Archibald Alexander, also another Christian minister in his denomination, equally influential in helping to establish the seminary. Miller grew up in a pastor's home in Delaware, and then prior to coming to Princeton, spent about 20 years in New York City during the 1890s and first decade of the 19th century, serving a fairly large congregation there, having witnessed nearly 200 of his members die of yellow fever epidemic as it swept through the city and continued to stay in the city and minister during those very difficult seasons, as, as well as to the wealth and influence that was part of the world that he was living in. He became a, a well-known church historian. Uh, he was a cultural historian, but also specifically a church historian, and that is uh, what he is most remembered for as a professor at the seminary for the nearly 40 years that he served there. He also taught preaching alongside Archibald Alexander uh, for a number of years. That's something which has sort of been overlooked, but it's something that was also at the heart of what he did in helping to shape uh, the curriculum that the seminary offered to young men who were preparing both for the pastoral ministry as well as for the mission field and for educational opportunities as future teacher professors themselves. But his influence uh, has been enormous in the history of American Presbyterianism, particularly with material that he wrote on the topic of the church and, and biblical eldership, uh, for which he is probably most well remembered. What's your sense of what Miller was like as a pastor? You mentioned that he did serve in pastoral ministry for quite a long time and, and had a fairly significant degree of influence in those circles, what was he like as a pastor? What were, what was his pastoral ministry characterized by, as best you can tell? Uh, Miller's understanding of pastoral ministry grew and matured with the passing of the years. Even though he was a child of the man's, uh, when he went into pastoral ministry initially in the 1890s in New York City, I think he was somewhat very enamored with the um, opportunities to uh, hang among the uh, uh, wealthy and the intelligentsia in the city. And, and eventually, I think he came to realize the danger and the threat of that, the simplicity of gospel ministry and, and the offense of, of the cross to people whose lives are, are marked by a certain amount of success and, and uh, material comfort. 
And over the course of the years, I think he became a man who was deeply burdened, uh, as well as deeply in love with the members of his congregation and city, and did all that he could in a selfless, sacrificial sort of way to, to care for the needs, both physical and spiritual, of those around him. And so he was a man who was really uh, a deeply humble man. His diaries indicate someone who constantly was engaging in self-examination and fasting and prayer to make sure that he had not lost his first love, that he was still working, walking on the path of holiness, and that all that God had entrusted him was everything that he was now using uh, in the service of his calling as a gospel minister, and then even more significantly in the responsibilities that he had undertaken to be a professor at the seminary, uh, the position obviously being critical in helping to prepare and train future generations of, of pastor, teachers, missionaries. And, and because the scriptures tell us that we do tend to turn out like the people that we hang around with, uh, Miller was very conscious of the uh, mentoring and role model that he provided, along with his uh, fellow faculty, in the example that they gave to their students of what biblical maturity and uh, gospel uh, commitments look like in a ministry that is sold out in love for Christ and done on behalf of Christ. You talked about his work at the seminary with Archibald Alexander. I wonder if you could talk a little more about what characterized seminary education in that day, or at least, I should say, seminary education as Samuel Miller and Archibald Alexander conceived of it, and perhaps distinguish between that kind of seminary education and what would be commonly looked at as a sort of normal seminary training program today. Can you compare and contrast a little bit? Yes, the the actual establishment of what we call seminaries was somewhat of a new educational project at the beginning of the 19th century. Prior to that, theological education was done uh, in college or at the university level. Often there was an internship done upon completion of one's undergraduate studies. Time would be spent with a local minister. You would read theology with him, and there would be practical hands-on experience in helping shape a person's awareness of what pastoral ministry entails on a day-to-day basis. Um, Princeton realized it was at a turning point in history, and it realized with the uh, increase in population size in America that the older model could not accommodate the growing needs, and so they established a school specifically devoted to ministerial training. In that respect, it was unique in its design and focus. It was intended to bring together piety and learning in a way that was equally balanced so that you had educated men, but men who were also men who had embraced the truth of the gospel, who loved Christ with their heart, and believed in the practical application of Christianity uh, to every area of life, so that their uh, ministry was shaped both by a, a sound doctrine and the confessional commitments that they subscribed to as Presbyterian ministers, but also the practical application uh, of that doctrine in their life. As a, as a model, the seminary was concerned to have faculty who had background and pastoral experience, men who would be able to talk the language of ministry from personal experience, but wed that together with a doctrinal framework to give a doctrinal foundation to the students for the application of what we might call practical theology in their lives and the way in which they would then in turn replicate and go about becoming ministers in their own generation. And so there was a real intentionality uh, to fuse and integrate faith and learning, 
Uh, they believed that one without the other would create an imbalance and would be dangerous to the health of the church. And so they believed that the scholarship, while important, um, was something that should never be provided separate from the cultivation of personal piety in the life of both the faculty and the students. Uh, just as Paul said that, you know, people should be imitators of him, so they recognized that every scribe, when they are well-trained, becomes like their master. And so they realized the um, significance of, of the model that they provided and sought with a real intentionality to be men of God whose lives were marked by a deep spirituality in the way in which they went about living and teaching theology and helping students to learn to love Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, that their lives would be marked by that entirety of, of selfless, undivided service in the calling of gospel ministry. The subtitle of your book on Samuel Miller, An Able and Faithful Ministry, the subtitle is Samuel Miller and the Pastoral Office. You've contrasted a little bit and compared the seminary education and the view on seminary education, which he held. I'm wondering if you could talk about his view of the pastoral office. If he were standing in front of a room of pastors today, what would be his main points of emphasis? What would he say pastors are supposed to be focused on? I think he would emphasize the importance of word and sacrament and prayer. I think that um, it would not be a complex answer, because he believed in the importance and the priority of preaching as God's means of drawing men, women, and children to himself. He believed in the importance of the preparation of the heart of the minister, so that the heart, being in the right place before God, could embrace the truth with the appropriate affections and speak naturally and eloquently about those things most surely believed. And so, rather than focusing on compositional skills, although he taught uh, sermon preparation, he, like his colleague Alexander, would have believed that the individual first needs to have their heart prepared so that they can speak with that, what they would have called a natural eloquence that gives rise to uh, a powerful preaching effect as one speaks from the heart to the heart of one's hearers. Um, he would have been equally committed to helping men uh, remain faithful to any confessional vows that they had taken to uphold the secondary standards of their churches, in this case being Presbyterians, uh, in particular upholding the Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms. So he was an active churchman who, who believed that part of biblical fidelity means honoring the vows that you have taken, both to preserve sound doctrine as well as to refute to gainsayer. And so his ministry approach would have been both constructive in the sense of helping young men understand an identity of pastoral uh, ministry so that they could be effective in their calling. So he's going to give them a pastoral theology of awareness of what it means to be a man called and commissioned to be Christ's representative but then also to recognize that that is carried out in the context of the local church, in this case in a denominational context, one in which then they must be faithful servants in preserving sound doctrine and be willing to refute the gainsayer. The two-edged sword, but one which he wanted them to understand was at the heart of their calling, uh, to be faithful <clears throat> in both preserving and uh, perpetuating as well as protecting uh, the theological identity of the Church uh, through how men are prepared as well as the way in which men uh, minister on behalf of Christ in the generation in which they're privileged to live and serve. 
Jim, last question. You have, in a sense, studied under Miller in in terms of analyzing and and, and benefiting from his writings. You, you've you've exposed many people to his writings. I'm wondering if you could speak personally for a, for a moment. What is it that you have learned from reading Samuel Miller? Were there things that he drove home into you, in your heart or 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 particular um, ideas that he comes back to again and again that have been most beneficial for you? In other words, why are you still so enthusiastic about talking to people about Samuel Miller? Well, I never knew if I would be as enthusiastic about Miller as I had been about Alexander. Alexander was somewhat more free-spirited. Miller was somewhat more stodgy in terms of the formality in which he exercised ministry, but that was in part personality and also location in New York City compared to the uh, countryside of Virginia where Alexander had his origins. What I found in a man like Miller is a man who was uh, is profoundly intelligent, but also profoundly humble, and a man who did not place himself first, but saw others as more important than himself, a man who recognized his own limitations, a man who was constantly examining his own heart uh, to see where he stood before God, and wanting to cultivate and continue that first love, a man who would never place himself first, um, but was really someone who would have preferred to remain in the shadows, but was willing to take a principled stand as he was called upon uh, in the days of trial that his own denomination went through in the 1830s uh, to speak the truth in love, even when when confronting some of his fellow brothers uh, in the ministry for areas of theological deviation that they had embraced and were perpetuating. And so to me, he's the man who really combines almost a a grandfatherly ripening of of biblical piety and maturity, of confessional commitments, of of a love for Scripture and a love for God's Church and His people and the world around Him. And when you find that kind of pulse beat coming through, something of the fragrance of Christ, uh, you know, exudes in His ministry, and people are drawn to it uh, even years after He has died because they can see the likeness of Christ coming forth in the way in which uh, He exercised uh, His gifts, both as a pastor, preacher, and a seminary professor. Jim, thank you for your time. Again, I would recommend to our listeners, if they're interested in Samuel Miller at all, an able and faithful ministry, Samuel Miller and the Pastoral Office, by Jim Gerritsen, published by RHB. And Jim, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Jonathan. It's been a privilege to be part of the program today. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast from placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's church. This week, we're offering Jim Garrison's book, Pastors and Teachers of Old Princeton, to some of our listeners. Go to the podcast page at placefortruth.org to enter for a chance to win. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.